chapter twenty six of the filigree ball by anna catherine green this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by caroline chapter twenty six rudge i never saw any good reason for my changing the opinion just expressed indeed as time went on and a further investigation was made into the life and character of those two brothers i came to think that not only had the unhappy veronica mistaken the person of wallace pfeiffer for that of her husband william but also the nature of the message he sent her and the motives which actuated it that the interview which he so peremptorily demanded before she descended to her nuptials would had she but understood it properly have yielded her an immeasurable satisfaction instead of rousing in her alarmed breast the criminal instincts of her race that it was meant to do this that he knowing william's secret a secret which the latter naturally would confide to him at a moment so critical as that which witnessed their parting in the desolate klondike pass had come not to reproach her with her new nuptials but to relieve her mind in case she cherished the least doubt of her full right to marry again by assurances of her husband's death and of her own complete freedom to this he may have intended to add some final messages of love and confidence from the man she had been so ready to forget but nothing worse wallace pfeiffer was incapable of anything worse and if she had only resigned herself to her seeming fate and consented to see this man but to return to fact and leave speculation to the now doubly wretched geoffrey on the evening of the day which saw our first recognition of this crime as the work of veronica moore the following notice appeared in the star and all the other local journals any person who positively remembers passing through waverley avenue between n and m streets on the evening of may the eleventh at or near the hour of a quarter past seven will confer a favour on the detective force of the district by communicating the same to f at the police headquarters in c street i was f and i was soon deep in business but i was readily able to identify those who came from curiosity and as the persons who had really fulfilled the conditions expressed in my advertisement were few an evening and a morning's work sufficed to sift the whole matter down to the one man who could tell me just what i wanted to know with this man i went to the major and as a result we all met later in the day at mr moore's door this gentleman looked startled enough when he saw the number and character of his visitors but his grand air did not forsake him and his welcome was both dignified and cordial but i did not like the way his eye rested on me 
but the slight venom visible in it at that moment was nothing to what he afterwards displayed when at a slight growl from rudge who stood in an attitude of offence in the doorway beyond i drew the attention of all to the dog by saying sharply there is our witness sirs there is the dog who will not cross the street even when his master calls him but crouches on the edge of the curb and waits with eager eyes but immovable body till that master comes back isn't that so mr moore have i not heard you utter more than one complaint in this regard i cannot deny it was the stiff reply but what i did not wait for him to finish mr corian i asked is this the animal you gassed between the hours of seven and eight in the evening of may the eleventh crouching in front of this house with his nose to the curbstone it is i noted him particularly he seemed to be watching the opposite house instantly i turned upon mr moore is rudge the dog to do that i asked if his master were not there twice i have myself seen him in the same place and with the self-same air of expectant attention and both times you had crossed to the house which you acknowledge he will approach no nearer than the curb on this side of the street you have me was the short reply with which mr moore gave up the struggle rudge go back to your place when you are wanted in the court-room i will let you know the smile with which he said this was sarcastic enough but it was sarcasm directed mainly against myself we were not surprised when after some sharp persuasion on the part of the major he launched into the following recital of his secret relation to what he called the last tragedy ever likely to occur in the moore family i never thought it wrong to be curious about the old place i never thought it wrong to be curious about its mysteries i only considered it wrong or at all events ill-judged to annoy veronica in regard to them or to trouble her in any way about the means by which i might effect an entrance into its walls so i took the one that offered and said nothing i have visited the old house many times during my sojourn in this little cottage the last time was as one of your number has so ably discovered on the most memorable night in its history the one in which mrs jeffrey's remarkable death occurred there the interest roused in me by the unexpected recurrence of the old fatality attending the library hearthstone reached its culmination when i perceived one night the glint of a candle burning in the southwest chamber i did not know who was responsible for this light but i strongly suspected it to be mr jeffrey 
for who else would dare to light a candle in this disused house without first seeing that all the shutters were fast i did not dislike mr jeffrey or question his right to do this nevertheless i was very angry though allied to a moor he was not one himself and the difference in our privileges affected me strongly consequently i watched till he came out and upon positively recognizing his figure vowed in my wrath and jealous indignation to visit the old house myself on the following night and make one final attempt to learn the secret which would again make me the equal of this man if not his superior it was early when i went indeed it was not quite dark but knowing the gloom of those old halls and the almost impenetrable nature of the darkness that settles over the library the moment the twilight sets in i put in my pocket two or three candles sirs about which you have made such a coil my errand was twofold i wanted first to see what mr jeffrey had been up to the night before and next to spend an hour over a certain book of old memoirs which in recalling the past might explain the present you remember a door leading into the library from the rear room it was by this door i entered bringing with me from the kitchen the chair you afterwards found there i knew where the volume of memoirs i speak of was to be found you do too i see for it was my hand which had placed it in its present concealment quite determined to re-read such portions of it as i had long before marked as pertinent to the very attempt i had in mind i brought in the candelabrum from the parlour and drew out a table to hold it but i waited a few moments before taking down the book itself i wanted first to learn what mr jeffrey had been doing upstairs the night before so leaving the light burning in the library i proceeded to the southwest chamber holding an unlit candle in my hand the light feebly diffused through the halls from some upper windows being sufficient for me to see my way but in the chamber itself all was dark the wind had not yet risen and the shutter which a half-hour later moved so restlessly on its creaking hinges hugged the window so tightly that i imagined mr jeffrey had fastened it the night before looking for some receptacle in which to set the candle i now lit i failed to find anything but an empty tumbler so i made use of that then i glanced about me but seeing nothing worth my attention mrs jeffrey's wedding fixings did not interest me and everything else about the room looking natural except the overturned chair which struck me as immaterial i hurried downstairs again leaving the candle burning behind me in case i should wish to return aloft after i had refreshed my mind with what had been written about this old room not a sound disturbed the house as i seated myself to my reading in front of the library shelves 
i was as much alone under that desolate roof as mortals could be with men anywhere within reach of them i enjoyed the solitude and was making a very pretty theory for myself on a scrap of paper i tore from another old book when a noise suddenly rose in front which slight as it was was quite unmistakable to ears trained in listening some one was unlocking the front door naturally i thought it to be mr jeffrey returning for a second visit to his wife's house and knowing what i might expect if he surprised me on the premises i restored the book hastily to its place and as hastily blew out the candle then with every intention of flight i backed toward the door by which i had entered but some impulse stronger than that of escape made me stop just before i reached it i could see nothing the place was dark as tophet but i could listen the person mr jeffrey or some other was coming my way and in perfect darkness i could hear the faltering steps the fingers dragging along the walls then a rustle as of skirts proving the intruder to be a woman a fact which greatly surprised me then a long-drawn sigh or a gasp the last determined me the situation was too intense for me to leave without first learning who the woman was who in terror and shrinking dared to drag her half-resisting feet through these empty halls and into a place cursed with such unwholesome memories i did not think of veronica no one looks for a butterfly in the depth of a dungeon but i did think of miss tuttle that woman of resolute will without attempting to imagine the reasons for her presence i stood my ground and hearkened till the heavy mahogany door at the other end of the room began to swing in by jerks under the faint and tremulous push of a terrified hand then there came silence a long silence followed by a moan so agonized that i realized that whatever was the cause of this panting woman's presence here it was due to no mere errand of curiosity this whetted my purpose anything done in this house was in a way done to me so i remained quiet and watched but the sounds which now and then came from the remote corner upon which my attention was concentrated were very eloquent i heard sighs and bitter groans with now and then a murmured prayer broken by a low wailing in which i caught the name of francis and still possibly on account of the utterance of this name i thought the woman near me to be miss tuttle and even went so far as to imagine the cause of her suffering if not the nature of her retribution 
words succeeded cries and i caught phrases expressive of fear and some sort of agonized hesitation once these broken ejaculations were interrupted by a dull sound something had dropped to the bare floor we shall never know what it was but i have no doubt that it was the pistol and that the marks of dust to be found on the connecting ribbon were made by her own fingers in taking it again in her hand you will remember that these same fingers had but a few minutes previous groped their way along the walls for her voice soon took a different tone and such unintelligible phrases as these could be heard issuing from her partly paralyzed lips i must i can never meet his eye again alive he would despise brave enough to to another's blood coward when own o oh god forgive then another silence during which i almost made up my mind to interfere when a loud report and a flash so startling and unexpected that i recoiled during which the room leaped into sudden view she too veronica with baby face drawn and set like a woman's then darkness again and a heavy fall which shook the floor if not my hard old heart the flash and that fall enlightened me i had just witnessed the suicide of the last moor saving myself a suicide for which i was totally unprepared and one which i do not yet understand i did not go over to her she was as dead when she fell as she ever would be in the flash which lit everything i had seen where the pistol was pointed why disturb her then nor did i return upstairs i had small interest now in anything but my own escape from a situation more or less compromising do you blame me for this i was her heir and i was where i had no legal right to be do you think that i was called upon to publish my shame and tell how i lingered there while my own niece shot herself before my eyes that shot made me a millionaire this certainly was excitement enough for one day besides i did not leave her there neglected i notified you later after i had got my breath and had found some excuse that wasn't enough ah i see that you are all models of courage and magnanimity you would have laid yourself open to every reproach rather than let a little necessary perjury pass your lips but i am no model i am simply an old man who has been too hardly dealt with for seventy long years to possess every virtue i made a mistake i see it now trusted a dog when i shouldn't but if rog had not seen ghosts well what now we had one and all with an involuntary impulse turned our backs upon him what are you doing he hotly demanded only what all washington will do to-morrow and afterwards the whole world 
gravely returned the major then as an ejaculation escaped the astonished millionaire he impressively added a perjury which allows an innocent man and woman to remain under the suspicion of murder for five weeks is one which not only the law has a right to punish but which all society will condemn henceforth you will find yourself under a ban mr moore footnote time amply verified this prophecy mr moore is living in great style in the moore house and drives horses which are conspicuous even in washington but no one accepts his invitations and he is as much of a recluse in his present mansion as he ever was in the humble cottage in which his days of penury were spent End of footnote. my story ends here the matter never came before the grand jury suicide had been proved and there the affair rested of myself it is enough to add that i sometimes call in durbin to help me in a big case End of chapter twenty six